You're listening to the Beyond Digital Education podcast with me, Nathan Johnson, and my co-hosts, Carl Kaczynski and Rami Bassi. We hope you enjoy the show. I was contemplating whether I want to continue with the meeting or leave the meeting from one of Nathan's press recordings. You can leave. Yeah. You're still here. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. I mean, we can talk about kind of working with external partners, um, how we work together with them, um, what that looks like. And yeah, I mean, you um, asked what what external partners um, is, who are who are external partners, um, and I guess in our case, um, working working in our institution, it would be kind of our work with um, Wiley, our work with FutureLearn, um, and as as you said, um, off the recording. Um, the work we've on the degree apprenticeships um, as well. But yeah, I mean, does anyone, anyone want to kick off? I mean, Remy, you've got a slightly different um, perspective. Yeah, so m- m- most, of, most of the work we do is working with external partners where I work. Uh, so whether that's academic partners or industry partners, so there's two ends of this. There's the, um, as you've already mentioned, Nathan, there's the um, kind of, uh, subject matter expert partners who might be industry or academic partners and then there's the supply end of it as well so who's producing those courses and they might be external partners as well and it's always really interesting trying to uh, get a project plan together with uh, so many different stakeholders um, I mean I guess what's interesting about this is uh, having worked with you guys as well uh, that when we're starting on a project, even though we've got internal partners, sometimes it's uh, the strategy we need to align with them more than the external partners, because it's quite clear what the external partners requirements are, but we have to get those internal processes sorted out. Um, And yeah, I just wonder, uh, working with external partners is interesting um, because you have to figure out what their processes are, uh, working with internal partners is varied. I, 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 yeah, I, that, that's, I suppose, as diplomatically as I can put those. Yeah, and I suppose it depends on the size of the organization because some organizations like the University of Birmingham is massive. You know, 40,000 students, six or 7,000 staff, so many different teams. So even if the, you know, in the umbrella team that we sit, it, the team is divided into educational development and digital aspect of it. And that digital, digital team is divided into five different colleges. And it might be unfair explanation of this, but at the moment it almost feels as different colleges have a slightly different view on what the job role and what the job requirements is, even though we share the same job title and we're supposed to have very similar responsibilities. It almost feels like the agenda and the priority for each team are slightly different, even yeah, though so you could... the same family, because we, we sit in different colleges, the priorities are different. So then you... it makes, does it make that these you know, people from different colleges are external or internal partners? Or is it actually worth thinking about that from that part categories? 
or just thinking about the, these are partners. Yeah, no, I was going to say the same point, Carol. Perhaps we should start thinking about working with multiple stakeholders rather than separating external from internal. Because as you've already mentioned, as soon as you start working, when you're working within your team, I always found working with you guys within the team, we all had the discussions, aligned our processes and moved on. Then the next barrier might be then uh, working with the other partners where there might be differences of opinion and trying to align those processes. Um, I guess you could say that as soon as you step outside the team, it starts to get more complicated. And so it becomes a case of working with multiple stakeholders rather than external partners becomes the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I get that. And of course, on the top of that, we need to remember about who is our audience. So these are students and our students, of course, the fact that they are attending our courses, whether these are MOOCs or degrees, these are external partners. They're coming from initially, they, are, they, they come out outside the organization and because they are enrolled to the specific course or MOOC, they become, you know, they become internal partners. But at the moment of, before they are enrolled to that course, they are external partners. So our job as the learning designers is to make sure that we provide the best student experience, the best pedagogical experience, sound pedagogical approach. So people who are actually enrolled to that course, they benefit from it. And then they can, by word of mouth, they can say, oh, you know, I did the course in the future learning, it was great. I did the course at the University of Birmingham, it was great. And I would strongly recommend, you, you know, friends and family to go and at, attend those uh, courses. I guess, would, would, a, would a student be a partner or is a student a um, consumer? But they are a stakeholder though, aren't they? Yeah, um, I, I'm always troubled by using the term consumer or customer because learning is not, it's not necessarily a consumption or it's not like a customer and, you know, supplier relationship. Um, one of the examples, I can't remember who gave it, but one of the examples was you're not buying a degree. It's equivalent to just because you pay a gym membership doesn't mean you end up with a, a you know a perfectly fit body. You have to put some work in in order to get there. There's a relationship here. They're they're the cus customer if we're going to use that word. They're the stakeholder that ultimately, I guess, a university you're looking to please. Um, you want to make sure they get the right learning out of it. Although even that dynamic's changing a little bit, where uh, certainly universities are being asked to be more responsive to the job market and offering courses that employers need. And so rather than being uh, demand led from the student side, it's almost there's a, a demand from the employer side as well of we need these skills. So if people want jobs when they come out of uni, these are the ones. I'm not sure how I feel about that because I think learning for the sake of learning is something to be pursued in its own right. Um, but certainly they are that the employers then become kind of like an indirect stakeholder that we need to meet their needs as well in a way. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, to certain, uh, to certain degree, I agree with what you've said. And I think one of the kind of framework that helps me to kind of conceptualize uh, working with external partners or stakeholders is seeing all of the partners at, as the kind of, at the um, continuum of engagement. So at one side, you've got those people who, you know, SMEs, 
people who develop the content, who are subject matter experts, who are responsible for creation of the intellectual content. And on the other hand, these are students, whether these are potential students or actual students, those are receivers. And we as the learning designers, I can see us like in the middle of that spectrum on, the, on that continuum. So we've got to work in the kind of both sides, ensuring the accessibility agenda is met, ensuring inclusivity, looking for, you know, for the future, what the future tomorrow brings and doing that kind of analysis of how higher education might go, in which direction it's gonna go. Uh, what, what are the current pedagogical advancements and evidence, what is the new technological um, advancements available, how we can boost our courses. And our role is kind of to fit all of those information on that continuum and work with academics and work with students to understand their needs and understand their needs to bring the best solutions. But I, you know, this is kind of, this framework kind of helps me understand understand the learning design and work with people at different end of this continuum. But I'm really happy to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we, could, we could, we could go on for some time about all the stakeholders and meeting each of their individual needs. Because um, it gets really complicated, as you've just outlined, Carol. Uh, but I don't know, maybe if we went back to working with external partners, because that seems a bit more concrete, uh, well, almost. Um, but if we just spoke about, I guess when I originally read that, I thought, does that mean hiring a company to then produce the content um, in, in whatever platform uh, when we say external partners? So working with uh, the likes, so people who, who do that sort of thing would be Wiley and FutureLearn and Pearson and McGraw-Hill or Nathan and I worked on a project a couple of years back where the subject matter expert was not employed by the institution it's happened a few times but they employ somebody externally and not only are they not used to our way of working but they're not used to generally the university of uh, where we're working they're not used to the university's policies and procedures and what isn't and isn't possible so almost we had to relay information that wasn't necessarily in our remit about like, well, these library resources won't be available. They won't be able to register as a student. Uh, they won't have access to X, Y, Z. Um, I mean, even just those two sides of partners, uh, people producing the courses and people providing the materials, uh, there can be uh, some significant challenges Nathan, what was your experience? I know you did the lion's share of, of work on that module where there was a, an external um, uh, SME. Yeah, interesting. Um, <clears throat> it, it very much was going back to basics and I guess understanding, I mean, it, it kind of got me to understand that we're just a small cog in a, in a far larger machine. Um, so some things you take for granted when you work for people of, of the same institution. So how the library works, um, for example, whereas with someone external, they don't know. So then you have to have the conversation, okay, this is how the library works, kind of these are the people that you need to talk to. And then you kind of become the responsible 
in a, in for them um, and for for all of the different stakeholders involved. Um, and I and I guess similarly for working with external companies as well, um, depending on depending on how they're creating the course. So with a future learn, it will go on their platform. So they've got more control and say over what what you do so our role is more of the translator and the working with the um, SME to to understand okay this is this is how we need to present the content this is kind of what it should the level that it should be at um, but I guess for external companies building content for internal purposes for a sense um, there's there's so many so many stakeholders involved that I sometimes I feel like I am responsible for them um, for the success of of their kind of part as well um, whether that is okay um, the administrators making sure the administrators are in the loop at whatever stage the library making sure the library are in the loop making sure that everyone. <clears throat> On, on the program are in the loop as well and as understanding what's going on. Because I think maybe there's, I don't know, the process isn't isn't as, as robust um, within a large, a very large institution. Uh, it's very fragmented, there's lots of silos. So working on one program with lots of people, I guess, like you were saying, <clears throat> Remy earlier about um, kind of an external party probably have their processes down and they'll understand what they're doing but on our side there there may be like 50 processes for one for one project so they're looking at us saying oh okay this is a good institution they start working and they realize actually it's kind of like lots of different kind of um, companies within one. So when they're looking, thinking, oh, okay, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get kind of um, to understand how the university works. I'm gonna be working in the library. I'm gonna be working with kind of, whether that's the guild or I'm gonna be working with student services. I'm gonna be working with wellbeing, brilliant. And you realize, I actually, if I want that, I'm gonna have to do it myself because there's no one that, actually does that here um, and then sometimes there's things that may potentially be missed um, because if, if we miss it it will get missed um, so I, I kind of feel like our role sometimes turns into that, that project management for the institution rather than what our role should be which is the kind of the learning design kind of producing producing the program producing the, the content not relationships building relationships across the institution um but yeah that that's my my experience yeah it's that um and we've spoken about it before the need for a project manager on these sorts of multi-stakeholder projects um to ensure we have the right people on board somebody is organizing the timelines and somebody's chasing um because as learning designers instructional designers we don't want to have to be the person that needs to build the relationship to you know coax the best learning out of the academic the SME but also like being the carrot and the stick at the same time is kind of a difficult position to be in 
Um, I think we have at times had some project management support, uh, like in, in, you know, when we were working together, we've had some project management support in various, uh, in various different projects, but the consistency there, and there is a possibly a lack of consistency. So every new project needs a completely new plan because there's no formalized process in place. It's not like, right, we're creating a new course. We know from experience, we need X, Y, Z, uh, and then putting that into place. Uh, perhaps if there was a kind of formalized process of like, right, there's a new module. What do we need? We need um, somebody to advise on the learning. We need somebody to advise on, uh, we need somebody to build it. Those are kind of things that we're traditionally involved in. We need someone to scope out what the learners will need access to. So that might be some involvement from student services. It might involve the library as well. Uh, we need somebody to manage the timelines. We need somebody to uh, update everybody. We need somebody to organize the meetings. Um, so yeah, there is a lot of stuff that happens that we end up picking up the uh, the slack for, I guess, or, or I say we, uh, I don't have to anymore, <laughs> fortunately. Um, but uh, it, it becomes tricky to, to wear both hats or multiple hats during the project and maintain relationships sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything that you and Nathan have said, but I don't know, to me, part of part of this experience was really, really good because I, as Nathan was talking about that we are very small cock in that huge machinery, it, dealing with all of that, you know, being a project manager, be responsible for, um, you know, establishing good relationship with external partners and with different stakeholders, or even training people on how to use platforms that we use because if people are coming from different organizations and they've never used the platforms that we are using they will they won't understand what is um what the capacity of the platform is they don't understand how we work and what can be achieved by using this platform so i think this is kind of to me it was very exciting journey to get to know a lot about the project manager and get to know a lot about training and it it feels like I've been doing this job for a few years now. And it feels, and not, not only in one institution, but in previous institutions. And it feels that I, I appreciate more the complexity of learning and appreciate more about the complexity of curriculum design and what skills needs to be involved. And now, even though that I would like to steer out of the project management task and just focus on curriculum design, not even development, but just the purely purely design. Now with that appreciation of all of those stakeholders, I think I'm the getting more out of everyone, getting, you know, I'm getting better communicator. I'm able to appreciate how much time it takes for people to understand how platform works, how the process works, how we need to standardize our approach to everything. And it enables me to work more effectively with people from different organizations or different teams. So I think, yeah, in the ideal world, it would be great to have um, specific roles to do very, you know, specific tasks. But on the other, just to play the devil advocate, I do like being that, you know, um, multidisciplinary person who can deal with pretty much everything. Just teach me the appreciation of the complexity of the process. 
Yeah, I agree with you that like the, f- the first time uh, I needed to do this, the second time, maybe even the third time, I quite enjoyed doing this. But after a while, you know, when you've done it for the umpteenth time, you think, actually, we need a proper formalized process for doing this. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm not, I'm not, yeah, the, the fact that every time you've got to adapt it. Um, and I, I'm not saying we need to be rigid. I'm just saying if there were a process that gives guidelines about how these things should work, that's made available to people in advance, rather than you having to kind of project manage on the fly, because um, there's also a a point to be made about consistency. So if you want to professionalize uh, your job role within your institution and, and you do it one way Carol on one project, and then you change it slightly and Nathan does it another way and somebody else does it another way, you're not really providing that kind of, uh, brand standard uh, across uh, across the, the the job role, and so then you get into the situation where people are like, "Well, I want to go to Nathan because I like the way Nathan does it," or "I want to go to Carol because I like the way he does it," and then you know one of you may end up with loads and loads of work, and the other one sort of sit, sitting twiddling their thumbs um, because there isn't a kind of agreement about how these things should work properly. Yeah, I mean, I've always said, and and then we, I think we continue to talk. Um, Kind of across across our institution, kind of around that that ba- those basic standards, um, and not just the checklist um, type of standards, but what what should a program contain? What should we be doing? Um, and then giving that to everyone um, as as kind of the, that framework, and then from there we can build on it. Um, so if anyone kind of wants to do more, you can do more. Um, but just the idea of everyone's creating the, the same thing. Um, and it was really nice working with FutureLearn um, a few years ago when I, when I first worked with them. And there was lots of structure. So, so coming, from, uh, coming from like, like no structure, so creating your own um, effectively. So you want people to uh, commit to a deadline, then you have to talk to them about what their deadlines are because um, we'll have one deadline and they'll have another and then we'll go with theirs because it doesn't really matter what we say at that point. If we don't have anything set in stone, then we can't enforce anything later down the line. But yeah, just the, just the, the documents, the support um, kind of, the, well, support documents um, was expansive. There was just so much that for me, it, it was nice because it took the thinking out of it. And I think sometimes it's quite nice to not have to think about how to do something. Someone else has thought about how to do it, and I'm just putting it into practice and implementing it. Um, but when you have to think about every single step, it's it, it kind of adds whether that stress or time as well. So it increases the amount of time that you, you're spending on one aspect of a project um, by, I don't know, tenfold, because you're like, okay, what, am I, what do I need to do here? Uh, there's a deadline. Well, the deadline's the start of term. Cool. Okay, we want to work six months beforehand. Cool. Okay, is the academic even even here? I don't know at this point. Um, and then it all turns into two weeks before it goes live. That that's when the deadline. That's when the the analysis starts and the development, <laughs> rather than six months ago. But yeah, it's something that. I'm trying to kind of put in place a little bit more is is stops and checks. So whether that is kind of uh, an analysis session 
where you just get together and say, cool, um, let's just have a look at who your learners are. Let's um, kind of ha just have a discussion about kind of the ideas of what you want to do before we go too far um, and then become part of the process. So we're part of someone else's process rather than creating our own, uh, which kind of butt up against other people's processes and they, they don't really join up that well. Because um, like I say, we are, we are really big. Everyone does have different ways of working. We need to find a way that works um, joined up with everyone else. Uh, whether that is a really simplified version, it doesn't really matter. Um, we can build on it as individuals, but just the idea that we are, we are part of the process we have a, a defined role within, within that process, then people will look at us and say, okay, I know, I know what that team does. I know how to work with that team. And then we potentially can take a, like a, a back seat and say, okay, I don't have to worry about kind of getting in and having a curriculum development meeting because actually when the program signed off, then they're offered that kind of session anyway, irrelevant of me having to know what is going on. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, if we're part of the process, it'll just make our lives that little bit easier, then we can stop worrying about everyone else's job and put a little bit more time in worrying about kind of um, how our job works, how our role works uh, and creating some consistency um, with that, but yeah, like I say, um, Future Learn was good. It was tough, and that's what I liked. I think it raised questions that sometimes you don't ask because there's no time to ask. Whereas when you put it on an external platform, if it's not good enough, they're going to tell you it's not good enough and it's not going to go on. Um, if you do that in an institution, it'll still go on, and no one will question it. And actually how is that how how is it that nothing's checked nothing's stopped it very much is whatever you want to do can go on um and i mean the, yeah there's not that professionalism in terms of the the what we're producing um it still seems like it's very much up to the individual to provide whatever they want to provide it's tricky isn't it because if Say, for example, you raise the example of FutureLearn. If something's not good enough to go on the FutureLearn platform, they'll come back and they'll tell you. If you don't think something's good enough to go on your VLE, um, you say, well, that's not good enough, but they have the power to just put it up anyway. So you're kind of disempowered in that regard, whereas with an external partner, they can turn around and say, sorry, this doesn't meet our standards. So the, 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 where I work at the moment, when we start with a partner, we onboard them. We have like a, a partner onboarding for how we work as a company. Then there's a learning designer onboarding, which I'll, I'll do, or one of the other learning designers will do with them saying, this is my role. This is how we learn. This is our pedagogy. This is why it's important. This is what I'll work with you to do. Uh, and so it's very much sort of like, yeah, okay, you've got your course that you want to do. This is how we do it within our platform. Um, and I guess when, when we were working together, we didn't necessarily do that. We didn't say, right, this is what we will do for you. We might go in and show them a few examples of like, here's some great stuff we've done, but it wouldn't be, 
this is exactly how we will work with you and what we'll produce. This is what we need from you by when. And if we don't get it, then we'll have to scrap that part of the project. Exactly. And this is actually the part of the conversation that I think we had, Nathan, two days ago. Sorry, I had to mute myself because Phoebe is here and she's snoring. So if you hear a weird noise, uh, apologies for anyone who is listening to us. Apologies, it's just my dog. Yeah, so, Phoebe is your dog. <laughs> and she's snoring. So exactly, we were talking about this and what we... Um, would we and we actually pick up your idea when we had this kind of service level agreements with people so and trying to divert diversify divert i frog in the throat god sorry i can't put my thoughts together today so basically offer like different levels of service whether it's gold you know silver and bronze and we would be able to work with our stakeholders saying okay so if you're gonna go with the bronze level of, of, of our service, then you're going to receive X, Y of um, services from us. If you're going to go with silver, this is what you're going to offer. And if you're going to go with gold, this is exactly what you're going to offer. And what we, what we, what the situation that we are currently at, it's like we don't have any of this. And people are coming sometimes, oh, can you help me with this module? And we go on that module and it's like, what do you expect us to do? Because this module doesn't meet any criteria. It's not accessible. And what do we do about that? Like, yeah, I think, I think we are kind of between a rock and a hard, like kind of a hard place though, aren't we? Just, just the idea that kind of, you, you can sit there and say, oh yeah, we need a gold standard. But actually, yeah, but someone could just turn around and say, well, um, you're going to do it. You're going to do it in two months. Uh, your process, your process is six months, but you're going to do it in two. And actually, can we say no? I don't know. You, I don't think we can. I, I think it's it's all good, and I, and I, and I do agree, kind of having those standards. But sometimes, I think we're going to struggle until we identify who kind of the we are as an institution, we are as a team. And I think this is the perfect example of challenges of working during the COVID-19 pandemic. So working from home <laughs> with dog and crying kids. Uh, yeah, we all have our own words. So this is uh, one of the places, what Nathan was just touching on, um, it's one of the places where actually working with external partners can be a real benefit. So when we were working uh, with um, external partners, they've got, their, they've got their criteria and if it's not good enough, they can turn it back. But when we're working with external um, industries, so for example, the degree apprenticeships where there were you know, several uh, high profile companies working, not only were there the internal standards that had to be aligned to, but there were basic course criteria that had to be met in order to fulfill the degree apprenticeship. Uh, and it gave a bit of extra clout that wasn't just, for example, the academic uh, with their vision of how the course should be, but actually some very strict uh, criteria for what else needed to be included and how that needed to be measured or assessed at the end. Um, and in those senses, that, that can make uh, working, uh, doing our job easier because there are those external partners involved. Uh, so Nathan was giving the example of 
it's difficult to uh, say no to people. But in instances like that, uh, there is the possibility to say no where that's not appropriate because there are these external partners. Sorry, I've got I've got Frankie here, who is not my dog, but my child. <laughs> Isn't that right, Mr. Yes. The joys of working at home. I'd uh, I'd kind of like Frankie's take on external partners. Why have we got a new one? <laughs> Related to something else, but works really well in, in this situation. So, um, what's your cake? I ate my cake. So, I, I feel that we were talking quite a lot about the challenges and opportunities when it comes to, uh, and you know, kind of theory, standards, procedures of our work when it comes to working whether with the internal or external partners or stakeholders in, in general terms. And how do you engage the conversation? How do you structure your conversation when it comes to dealing with people and talking to people? What is your kind of philosophy behind this? When you, when you actually sit down with academics or wherever you sit down with the professional staff, what kind of drives that conversation? Yeah, it's not an easy question to answer, really. I mean, there's the, there's the internal policies and procedures. There's our sort of team processes, but also there's the kind of working with people, isn't there? You, you, you're trying to bring people on board. You're trying to reach agreement. Um, so I'm not necessarily ever fixed to, right, this is my way, so it has to happen this way. If, if someone has a particular way of doing things and has good reasons for doing it, like, uh, I, I think we should be flexible. Um, ultimately, like, so dodging the question really of my way of working it's like what is going to be the best outcome for the students at the end to, to learn um, and it's about keeping the goal in mind so I think flexibility is quite key to that uh, even though we've got policies and procedures and processes in place. Yeah I, I agree with you and I think I liked I would like to come back to the one point that you made earlier about being kind of rigid and to be, I, I don't necessarily like word rigid because it's kind of very limiting based on my understanding. So what I like to replace the word rigid or rigidness is with uh, boundaries. So I would like to see the team that I'm working with, you know, the, the, I would like to see the boundaries of the instructional design as, as a role and that those boundaries allows me to, to be flexible. And usually the way I start conversation with people, I start about their expectations, like, okay, so you might have worked with the instructional designers before, or it might be the very first time that you uh, work with instructional design designers. So, and it might be the very first time that you go through this process. So what is your expectation? What do you hope to achieve by the end of our meetings? And but what do you hope to achieve by design of the program or course and how we can support you would you start the conversation like that or i mean because we, we've already spoken and we've had conversations sort of off recording as well about um making it clear what our job role is so I, I wonder whether you would start with finding out what their expectations or requirements are or whether you would start by outlining what your job role was 
Well, it depends on the situation and depends on the circumstances because I've been in the situation that I used the, you know, that people were coming with like clear vision of what the instructional design is, or it was like, you know, the instructional design or was sold by my line manager or whatever. And they came with very kind of clear um, expectations. Um, and I, I, I was having the, the meetings that people didn't really know what to expect from, from, from the instructional designer. So then of course I spent a lot of time on uh, defining what the job is, but I think having their expectations explained and I will be able to kind of get the sense of what they understand my job is. And if there are some kind of the discrepancies, I will be able to tackle it in the very sensitive way and constructive way. So I, I do like asking this question like, okay, what is your expectation? What do you want to achieve? And how we can work together? What are kind of, what, what sort of obstacles you can see on that, you know, kind of, um, can be challenging when we work together and what are the opportunities? And then we can start, I can, I like, I like this starting point because then I can adjust my level of, you know, if someone is coming with a very clear vision of instructional design and they, you know, they get it nailed, then I don't, I don't need to repeat that. But if someone is coming with, oh, I, I actually don't know, then I can talk about this and how I see instructional design and how I work. So I'm always trying to kind of adjust to the level of knowledge and awareness that person that I talk to has. And it, it kind of, I found it, it, it worked in my practice, but you know, it, it might not work for you or it might not work for Nathan. Or Frankie. Sorry, I thought we were both going to come in there. Uh, I'll let Nathan come in. No, I was just. <laughs> okay. No, I was just going to. I was just going to use this as an opportunity to wrap up, um, kind of following on from what we were saying, just about just trying to be more flexible, just kind of be be welcoming of of change, of of new. New opportunities and new challenges, like challenges of working from home. <laughs> well, it was nice. Uh, thanks for joining. Does anyone have anything else that they'd like to add? It's just interesting that next week, uh, I think we're talking about uh, some of the challenges of uh, working from home, including homeschooling, is it? Um, so yep, yep. It, it'd be great, uh, Frankie, if you can make an appearance then, um, because it would be really appropriate. Would you like to come back and do the meeting? Yeah. yeah. Oh, do you want to join not. us next week? Yeah. yeah. I don't know how, how my um, parenting skills, well, I say parenting and teaching skills are going, but we're going to have a chat about it. <laughs> okay. See you guys. Yeah. See you guys on next on the next episode. Cool, fantastic, thank you. Cheers.
You've been listening to the Beyond Digital Education podcast. If you liked what you've heard, please do listen to more of our podcasts and please do engage with us on the topics we've raised. Thank you.